0: How do you set up your course well to measure data and effectiveness on the back end? Welcome to the Pedagogy Toolkit. In this episode, we discuss the concept of alignment and how setting up measurable course objectives, assessments, and materials will help you build a class that is clear and concise. Stick around.
1: to do and that it's like my stress relief and I have no idea why it's my weird stress relief is watching cleaning and organizational videos on social media
0: okay does that, is it something to say psychologically about your own <laughs> life there <laughs> Everything's so disorganized. I need to find an outlet to see organization in action. Actually, it's the sound of
1: it even more than like the watching of it. Right. Um, I I just it's the ASMR. I've I've got an addiction. I think Uh, I love like right before I turn on the Golden Girls to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> You've I conditioned to yourself to, I conditioned myself to need to hear Betty White's voice. And...
1: I am a Golden Girls super fan. That's something else you probably don't know about me. Uh, I, I really love them. So every night, pretty much, that is what I go to sleep to. But right before that... And have to have some ASMR videos.
0: So what is it about these cleaning or cooking hack videos that like appeal to you so much?
1: Right. So outside of the ASMR, I actually really love that I've learned things from them. Things that I did not learn growing up when I was learning how to clean or organize. You just see things from a different perspective sometimes and you get these kind of plans. Also, a lot of people will share their schedules. And life is so busy right now that it helps me to be able to save any time or to be able to to use a process that will kind of shorten or make more efficient what I'm doing or to know that I've not missed any areas in my cleaning because a lot of times there are places that can be neglected if you don't plan ahead and think about them.
0: That's true. Yeah, it's easy just to skim over the top and get the the easily seen stuff. But then there are certain things that are unseen or unaware that if you're not intentionally planning for it or intentionally building it into your your routine, you're going to miss. Yeah, or
1: or things that areas that you may not even think you can clean. Like I did not know that you can remove your toilet seat until I started watching these. Um, And that just makes my toilet so much cleaner. I know that's not something (laughs) we think about a lot.
0: Y'all didn't plan when you were tuning in today to hear that (laughs) little nugget.
1: Yes, but here it is. And so it's really helpful. Also, there are all these people who do folding hacks. Yeah. And... It really does help and save clothes just to have them there. You can easily see them. They take up less space. And so it just helps you like when you're getting dressed, here it is. It's all there. I have everything that I need. I can see at a glance what's there. It's great.
0: So you're saying if like your objective at the end is to have efficiency and cleanliness, there are steps that you can take prior to that in the process that align with the end goal. And by building those in previously ahead of time, You've streamlined that whole process and it all makes sense and it flows. Your life is much more congruent with the goal that you're trying to achieve.
1: Well, and that's exactly it. That's actually the first kind of rule of these organizational and cleaning hacks is to take stock of how are you living? How are you using this item? And so that kind of then says, where does it live? You know, so that way you have that efficiency. You know what you're dealing with and you're not having those gaps where you know, you forgot your grocery list or you forgot what you had at house. And so you bought three yogurts because you've got your pantry inventory. Right. Yeah. Uh, And so it it does. It it makes things more streamlined so that you don't end up with too much of one thing, not enough of another. You can easily see things. And it actually does make your life a little easier. It doesn't seem like it because it seems like a lot more planning, a lot more time that you have to put in on the Front end, front loading—sure, what you're doing—but then your day goes so much smoother.
0: It's amazing that you're bringing this up, cami because this has complete connections to a concept in course design and course management for online instruction. What do you, what do you know?
1: <laughs> that is great.
0: Yeah. So there's a principle called alignment that is basically meaning consistency and coherence between components of an online course. And I think that matches up exactly what you're talking about with the idea of these cleaning hacks, cooking hacks. If you have consistency and coherence amongst every single step along the way, things are a lot easier in the end product, the end product in your example, being a clean home or you know, an efficient chore or to-do list accomplished. When we're talking in the world of online instruction, you wanna have a course by the end of the day that has clear objectives, both for the specific course, then also for the entire program, down from the program to the course of the individual lessons and make sure that those assessments, those quizzes, those projects all match up to what is being talked about from the, the 30,000 foot level. And then ensure that the materials you're using, the activities you're using and the tools you're using all line up and match. So that's that's the concept of alignment. It's this process of ensuring that all aspects of the learning experience are working together to achieve the same goal. So mention all those different resources. We actually have a, a resource that we use here at Global Campus Quality Matters. Do you mind talking about that for a little bit?
1: Uh, so Quality Matters is has built a rubric. They, not, they are not a rubric. They have built a rubric. They are a company who really focus on both alignment and accessibility in online learning. And the alignment part of it, they talk about setting your objectives. So basically, what should students know and be able to do when they leave your course? Next, they talk about uh, aligning your course objectives with your assessments. If you set a goal, but you never measure that goal, how do you know that you've met it? You have to be able to track progress along the way, which is how we get into our activities. You might need resources to support those activities and the goal along the way. So you have the course objectives and then you have assessments that match those And then your course materials like readings and videos, lectures, and your assignments to help students practice before they're assessed and deciding whether or not they've met these course goals are all there in the course. They all match. You've got all the resources you need to support these goals for students. Students are then able to flow more easily through that learning process Because they have the supports they need in place, and because what you're asking them to do ultimately with the assessment is supported throughout with practice and readings and activities that support meeting that goal.
0: Yeah. And I think the the reason this type of concept or principle needs to be spoken out loud and articulated very clearly, especially when it comes to instruction in general, but even more specifically online instruction, when you're teaching at the higher ed level, ninth through twelfth grade level, there comes a certain point where maybe you have hit a level of subject matter expertise where a lot of things in your own mind go without being said. You have a certain base level of knowledge where you can presume certain competencies or certain abilities of the learners without ensuring that they actually are able to meet those competencies or objectives on the front end. And so by creating alignment with objectives, assessments, activities, materials very clearly, you're able to ensure that those students have the experience of knowing what is the base level of knowledge that I know, what is the base ability for me to to comprehend what's being discussed.
1: Right. And and that's why we rely on things like the QM rubric, yeah. because it walks us through that process and shows us where maybe our gaps are. If we're only giving students lectures or even videos, but we're not giving them an opportunity to practice the skill that we're measuring them with, then we're missing a component.
0: Absolutely. And that's where having a good understanding of taxonomies. Bloom's taxonomy is the one that we we lean on a lot over here, but just understanding the the levels of taxonomy and understand a basis of identifying or defining. If you want students to understand that, well then sure, things like multiple choice quizzes, exams fit very clearly into that. But then if you're wanting students to get into those higher level thinking taxonomies where they're in the ideation, the creation, the development phases of their learning, which tend to in the higher ed space be those 3,000, 4,000 grad level courses, You're going to have to mix up your instruction. You're going to have to mix up the activities and the assessments that you provide. And so knowing that from the beginning, um, backwards design is the the concept that usually is best employed to to make that happen. You're going to have to put in that work.
1: right? And and the truth is, even though those are typically the course levels, those 3,000, 4,000 grad level courses, those are also things that you can be doing uh in the 2000 level 1000 level classes. absolutely you do always want students to know the basic facts but you also want them to be able to do something with those basic facts right
0: besides because, just regurgitated on an exam
1: right because we're uh we're at a point in our education when you get to higher ed that you should have the skill to be able to do something right and sometimes Yes, that skill does need to be reiterated in the classroom uh, to ensure that students know what format, what form, how you are approaching that skill as an instructor. But these are things that students should be able to do. The higher level thinking, we are in higher ed, right? So we should all be doing higher level thinking, regardless of what course level we're at. And
0: some some of the immediate kind of pushback you might Have as you're listening to this or that others might have as they consider this idea is just time is one of them. I already am rushed for time as an instructor to build my curriculum, to build my courses, to teach how I'm teaching now. Yes, we're going to fully acknowledge that alignment is a time-consuming process. Um, It's going to require things like a QM rubric. It doesn't have to be the Quality Matters QM rubric. If there are course maps we can talk about that will help you Map out the alignment and make sure that all of your assessments and materials are meeting your objectives. That is going to require some additional intentionality. And also there's just some cultural barriers. You know, it's not a normal experience to get into the science of aligning a course an instructor's role is to set students up for success with the content. And if we're just providing the content without any clear guidance or clear map, we're putting people out into the water without life preservers and expecting them to swim for hours and hours and hours. And that's. And right. so, yeah, alignment's, alignment's worth it, despite those, those challenges.
1: Yes, alignment is definitely worth it. It is work on the front end. You do have to take time to organize and think through what you're teaching for an entire semester, which is a big deal. It takes time to do that. It takes time to gather your resources. It takes time to organize activities in a way that is meaningful to students and think through what those are. But it also saves you a lot of time as an instructor because you have fewer of the students who are coming to you with with these questions and emails and everything else that you're getting, you're still going to have questions, which is good. But when you have these this type of alignment, questions can even be more focused from students. I've noticed that a lot of times they're more on track with what you're actually trying to teach them.
0: Think of like an archery analogy. There's a wide open field and you haven't pointed in the direction where the target is. Students are just going to, and you're saying go, students are just going to fire arrows in random directions, um, and they're probably not going to hit the target. But if you can point them in the direction that lines them up with the target, you know, that doesn't mean that you're just making them hit the target automatically, but you're least really putting them in a position to be successful. And so you can't just say, here's all the resources. I'm laying everything at your feet. I mean, you can – but that's not quality instruction. That's not quality teaching. And, and here's the thing, too, that I think I, I've, I've experienced some pushback from time to time within, with teachers throughout the years. And it's like, well, I that's how I had to learn. So therefore, the next generation has to – like, I'm, I'm not going to adjust that. If, if I had to go through it this way, this is how it just kind of is. And it's like, well, that's not innovative or useful in any other field. Well, so why would we do it in education?
1: But also – Things have actually changed a lot even since I was in school. I say even like I'm not old. Um, but <laughs> things have changed a lot even from a decade ago in yeah. terms of the amount of content and how people consume uh, that information. There's just information everywhere all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so focusing students in on what information matters. How should we prioritize it for this discipline in this course? That's a skill. And students need it more and more all the time because of the amount of information that's out there. And we know that we have miss and disinformation in with the actual Absolutely. information,
0: right? Absolutely, <laughs> We have language learning models like you, James and Amelie, talked about recently that are going to... Steer people in a certain direction. they sound confident, but they're not always accurate. And so alignment helps achieve the decrease of information overload. When you can target that uh, extraneous time spent on activities that aren't going to contribute to your outcomes, you're going create a more successful learning environment. Like you're saying, yeah, students are just going to know what to talk about. and they they may come across something. they're like, well, this has no bearing on what we're actually talking about. So I can let that kind of sit off to the side. whereas other questions might come up or other thoughts might come up that actually, are pointed at the target of of the objective or the outcome, and you can then focus on that instead. So how how would someone achieve this?
1: You mentioned uh, backward design yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. That is actually one of the best ways because it doesn't just um, – of course, it's a resource, you know, but it, it's not a rubric exactly. Sure. It just kind of gives you steps, and that's one of the things I like about it is – Step one is, you know, like that begin with the end in mind kind of thing. What is the end result that yeah. you want?
0: Yeah. Can you define it a little bit more clearly maybe with for those who aren't maybe listening and unfamiliar with backward design?
1: Uh, so it's starting with your desired outcomes. What do you want students to know and be able to do at the end of your course? And then you kind of walk backwards and design backwards based on that. You start with your you know, your objectives, the goals, how you, what you want students to be able to know and do, then you design those assessments, then you design your activities, then you fill in with the resources that support those activities, readings, lectures, videos, any of that.
0: Because I can can think to my limited experiences in teaching and instructing, and often I'm grabbing really cool resources on the front end. Like, oh, I want to talk about this, or I want to bring this in. Great. That maybe is really a fun subject to talk about. But if my goal during this particular lesson or this particular period is to talk about subject B and this resource relates to subject A, maybe that's going to be reserved for a different lesson or a different time frame to get them into yeah. the, to that discussion. I need to find resources actually that fit subject B, where I'm at in the course.
1: Yeah, it's it's like I was talking about kind of what those cleaning hacks earlier. Yeah. You know, a lot of them will use like specific tools that you just look at it and you think, oh, they're so cool. And then you get that specific tool and then it sits around your house because that's not actually part of your plan and part of what you need it for. And so... I don't
0: even own a cast iron skillet. Why did I get this thing that cleans cast iron skillets? It looked really cool on the <laughs> right. videos.
1: <laughs> right. And so you can see these really cool resources that you want to you know, implement or even really cool strategies like gamification that you want to implement in your courses. But... How is it helping students meet that end goal? And that's always the question you want to ask.
0: Absolutely. And a a learning outcomes map will probably be another resource that will really help complement something like backward design and we'll link an example in the show notes of what this could look like. Again, there's there's dozens of resources out there that can supplement and help uh, teachers and instructors in this, but it's essentially a document that will help you identify outcomes or it could be down to units or lessons with individual objectives for each course. And what you really want, you know, from from the basis of of educational theory is you want to have, you know, individual lessons with objective individual objectives within lessons meet certain goals that help filter up to the course. And then the course, those course level objectives ultimately fitting up to the program and the program objectives ultimately affecting the certain outcomes that you want by the end of this degree or the end of this certificate or license, whatever it might be, the learner is now capable of doing X, Y, and Z. And it's often we don't approach an individual class or an individual lesson with that kind of meta analysis or that kind of meta landscape understanding. But that's really kind of what I was going back to the very beginning, talking about like data collection and how can we know if our individual lessons or our individual courses that we teach are actually meeting the goals that we want for our learners to have if we're not aligning courses to meet certain objectives that actually filter up to an end outcome. And so this is where an outcome map, which again, it it can really just be a columnized document that helps you see step by step, like we're talking about the materials, the activities, the assessments, all fitting with the objectives. It's it's hard to do. Like we've mentioned already, it takes time. It is a continuous process. It's one of those, it's a journey, not a destination, because there's always going to be ways that you're going to iterate or ideate that are going to change your activities and your lessons. Again, most people are working in fields that have dynamic theory and have changing landscape of material and lessons and, and experiences. And so.
1: Well, and. You know, you get student feedback, number one, uh, as you go through the course and things like that. And so you definitely want to change based on student feedback, but also student demographics may change over time as well. And so you have to consider that who are your students, who are the learners that are experiencing this and how will they perceive what you've planned? So it's kind of something else that you need to think about as you plan through this alignment and making sure that you've Got your checklist. You know, you were thinking about that kind of meta view of how does this feed into these larger goals that we have beyond just this really cool piece of information that we think people should know in our course or in this lesson. How do we set these students up for success within this field? It goes beyond just we want them to know this information or we want them to be an informed citizen, which we do and we want to consider as part of our plan. But it really is about taking that 30,000 foot view overall and looking at how does this fit in the big picture of the department, of the students' lives and futures, and and what are we ultimately doing with our time here?
0: Yeah, uh- Probably the most relevant example of that right now is going to be, I'm I'm a broken record here, but it is going to be AI in learning, but also in how students are going to approach their degree plans moving forward and what that looks like then in the workforce. You know, if you are an instructor and you're getting ready to teach for the fall and you have not begun to understand how can you align the use of generative AI or these language learning models like ChatGPT, like Google you're you're going to be behind already. Because students are already using them and not just in the they're going to write their essays for them. You know, that's that's probably the simplest and most reductive way to look at these things. They're going to change how students ideate. They're going to change how students interact online, but then also how they interact with the job tasks and the duties that they have on a regular basis. And figuring out how to align the use of this new technology into your objectives rather than just putting a blanket statement of use this or don't use this is going to take time. It's going to take intentionality. But by doing so with that very tangible Thing Like you're talking about generations ago, alignment would have looked very different, but it's going to matter and it's going to affect learning, but it's also just affecting general culture. And that's something that if we're going to be good designers and good instructors, you kind of have to constantly be innovating in that as the culture and the technology innovates around you.
1: This specifically, that's a great example because we don't fully know, right, how AI is going to change society or the workforce. Right. We do know that it will change society and the workforce. And right now we look at what skills do students need to be able to function with AI beyond uh, just, you know, the plagiarism that we all fear in the classroom from AI. So how is AI being used? And is that a sort of literacy that students will need when they leave university and go into the workforce?
0: There's a great, great podcast out there called The Pedagogy Toolkit that talks about this exact thing. It's an episode called Minds of Metal. Yes. I would recommend anyone who's who's curious to give it a listen, that discussion on AI and literacy. It's fascinating.
1: (laughs) It really
0: is. <laughs> so uh, what might be, I, I to kind of circle back to the, the practicalities of it, so what might be a tangible example of alignment in action, say, in a creative writing course that could be very tangible? Want to take a stab at kind of fleshing out what that could look like?
1: Sure. So one thing that I have learned is that it's really important to have both what we call an example, which is the thing that you should be doing. And a non example, which is the thing that really isn't quite fitting what you're looking for. Okay. And so let's start with our non example. Let's do that. And a non example for alignment would look like a lesson objective where you ask students to be able to identify and label the organs of a mammal. You give students diagrams, textbooks, images, right? To do this uh, on labeling the organs of a mammal. Yeah. And then your assessment, though, is to have students write a two to three page paper describing each organ and its functions within a mammalian species. Okay. Your goal was for students to identify and label the organs of a mammal. But instead, you had them describe these organs. So that's not aligned because you're not... Asking them to do what your goal was.
0: Okay. So not a better example, but an example, since that was a non-example. Would an example then be, if that's still your objective, a more on-par assessment would be to have, say, a blank diagram And the student goes in and draws or creates the labels and identifies within a blank slate those particular organs and what those functions are um, or draws it from from scratch. Something more along those lines. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Exactly. Because that's aligned with the goal. If the goal was for students to be able to identify and label these organs of a mammal, then You want to give them the opportunity to do that, and you want to assess them on that. You want to have those practices, you know. The same thing, so if you wanted students to be able to create original prose in a class, then an example of that would be for them to write a composition of prose, right?
0: Not take a a multiple-choice exam about famous authors or writers.
1: Right. Yeah. Or what pros and tells, not identifying the components of a prose, but actually writing one if your goal is for students to be able to create their own. Yeah. Now
0: some of those those experiences might be used in the buildup yes. to the final assessment. It's not Absolutely. that you throw those away, but they fit more into the functioning towards the end game and the end game being my ultimate assessment for this particular lesson or then looking at it in the course level, maybe all these pieces then fit together. Finally, at the end of the course, students are able to identify key components of prose or writing structures. I'm not an English major. We have, <laughs> we have multiple on the podcast, so uh, James and Amelie are going to rip me apart in this. Um, Neither
1: of us are the yeah. English majors here. <laughs> we
0: <laughs> we barked up the wrong tree. But by the end, yeah, they can identify, they can define, and they can construct or create by the end.
1: If they identify, you know, so yeah, by the time, if you ultimately want your students to be able to construct or create their own original prose, then what you do is you don't start by asking them to do that right away. Right. You have to say, what are prose? What does that mean to write one? Have them analyze someone else's, show the components of these. How did they approach this? And then get to the point where they can practice writing until finally they have that end. This is my final draft.
0: And that's where backward design becomes so vital because you're, you're looking at the very end of the assessment or the the outcome being I want them to be able to create these original works, then the step right before that would be the actual drafting and writing process. Well, what's the step before that? Well, what's the step before that? And how can I insert activities and content into each of those steps that really allow me to see the whole picture put together? And really, you can't do that without backward. De- you can't do it well without backward design and the idea of alignment at the forefront of your mind. And so alignment and backward design, I mean, this is more trying to focus on alignment, but backward design really goes hand in hand with it.
1: And I will say, it's not that you can't teach well or that you're a bad instructor if you aren't doing these things. You probably are doing a lot of things really well. This just helps you fill in the holes because you don't want to miss something. You don't want to be asking students to do something that you haven't prepared them for. And so it gives you kind of peace of mind, Also, to be able to look back and to say, I've looked at this, I have the plan, I don't have gaps now. I know that students have what they need to be able to get to this point. And we want people to also think about the skills that we're asking students to use because there are students who will come to your classroom and they don't have academic backgrounds. They haven't had academic examples in their life. Yes, they may have gone through K-12 schools and there are things they should have learned, but especially students who are coming from uh, maybe lower socioeconomic backgrounds. If you come from a gen First-gen background, first-generation backgrounds, are international students who may have a different academic culture than we have in the United States. There are lots of different cultural backgrounds Um, that you'll get in your classroom. So don't take for granted that they know how to use a Venn diagram properly, right? Taking opportunities to model, it doesn't have to be anything perfect. It just needs to be something so that they know they're on the right road and, and they know how to start what you're asking them to do.
0: And if you're kind of listening and wondering, how do I start? (laughs) How do I get going on this? Uh, Again, we've, we've mentioned a few different kind of principles. There are lots of resources out there that can help you get started with alignment. We wanted this to kind of be an intro to that concept if you're unfamiliar with it. There's lots of books out there, lots of articles Curriculum alignment by David Squires is a good starting point. The Quality Matters team and rubric um, is a great resource. If your institution already subscribes to it, you might be able to get membership access. There is individual membership access, but there's lots of other alignment rubrics um, you can search for. A lot of institutions will put them out there as as open resources and um, and know that it's always going to be a process. Just like cleaning is a process, always, right?
1: Alignment is never finished, kind of like the laundry You know, just when you think you finished your last load, what about the clothes you're wearing? So it's never quite done. It's always a constant cycle, and that's where we get with alignment. It's not something that you did it one time and it's done. Just like dust, these things come back, right? And we have to. Unless you only ever
0: have one outfit, and then you just (laughs) (laughs) laundry is really easy.
1: (laughs) Laundry <laughs> becomes easier, but also uh, the, you have to do it a lot off more often, that's true. right? That's true. Uh, you know, think through how you approach this. This is not a one and done. If this is not something you've thought about in the past, that's okay. It's it's a tool to help you prove those things that you are probably already doing for students. Mm-hmm. And also make sure that you haven't left out a component that you really meant to include or that is really important for Your field, or for your course for students, yeah, Um, because it's really easy to do that when you're focusing on your course and you're just trying to get everything done. Um, And so this is just kind of like that front-loading portion that will help iron out the rest of the semester, so that it's a lot more smooth for you and your students.
0: For sure, and it's it's a concept that is can be vague in its abstraction. But when you get into the practical application, it becomes very evident and very clear how to align and how to make objectives and things that you want to accomplish in the class match with assessments and activities that you're implementing on a regular basis. And so I want to put a little bit more clarity to uh, how we see it so that when you get into your building of your course, then you can continue moving forward with this next degree of improvement for yourself and, like you said, Cammie, for the efficiency of those learners. Thanks for joining us on the Pedagogy Toolkit. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to get more great episodes coming your way in the future. Tune in next time.